Stop 3. The Blast Furnace. In the early 17th century, when Europeans began to settle in Massachusetts, the colony's leaders recognized the potential of New England's fish and timber resources. Processing and trading these products was a way to achieve financial stability of the new Puritan colony. They also brought with them a 2,000-year tradition of iron tool use, a vital part of their daily lives and developing economy. Massachusetts leaders understood the importance of iron and offered incentives to encourage investment in minerals extraction. In 1641, John Winthrop, Jr., son of the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and a self-taught metallurgist, returned to England to gather investors for a colonial ironworks. After forming the Company of Undertakers of the Ironworks in New England, he traveled to iron-making regions of Europe to collect relevant information. Skilled workers were recruited, and in 1643, they made the journey with Winthrop to New England. Arriving late in the fall, Winthrop's experts explored New England for an appropriate site, which needed extensive forests, ore, water power, transportation routes, and labor. With winter closing in, construction began on the company's first furnace in Braintree, Massachusetts, south of Boston. Progress through 1644 was slow, and by 1645 the investors were disappointed by Winthrop's lack of progress. Winthrop was replaced by Richard Leader, a man with skill in mines and trial of metals. The colony gave the Company of Undertakers exclusive rights to iron manufacturing in Massachusetts for 21 years. Leader set out to find a site that was more suited to iron making than was Braintree. The location Leader chose, on the banks of the Saugus River, where fresh water met salt water, was an ideal place to locate an ironworks. At high tide, Raw materials could be shipped in, and finished iron could be shipped out in shallow-bottomed boats. In addition, the steep contour of land surrounding the tidal basin would provide a convenient place to nestle water wheels to utilize the energy of falling water. Operating an ironworks demanded a steady source of water. About three-eighths of a mile to the north of the ironworks, a dam was built which stored 230 acres of water. A waterway was cut along the hillside, channeling water to a small holding pond just behind the ironworks complex. From there, the water flowed at controlled rates down four wooden troughs called races, one for the blast furnace, two for the forge, each driving two wheels, and one for the rolling and slitting mill. An oak bridge leads to the charge hole at the top of the blast furnace. This square-based stone structure processed charcoal, bog ore, and gabbro to make iron. These raw materials were gathered from nearby marshes, woods, and coastal areas. Samples are located on the iron rim of the charge hole. Charcoal was made by colliers, who slow-burned an earth-covered mound of freshly cut wood to produce vast quantities of lightweight charcoal, a fuel composed of almost pure carbon. Bogor, or limonite, was dug up from marshy areas or pond bottoms. 
This sedimentary rock ranged in consistency from rocky to earthy and contained variable amounts of iron. A calcium-rich flux, usually limestone or seashells, was needed to drive impurities out of the iron. At Saugus, it was determined that gabbro, an igneous rock found on the shoreline of the nearby Nahant Peninsula, could be used as a flux. The iron-making operation began with fillers dumping basketful after basketful of the raw materials into the furnace's deep charging hole. The initial charging operation, which included drying out the sandstone lining of the furnace, could take as long as a week to be completed. Beneath the charging bridge, a 16-foot diameter oak water wheel was constructed around a long oak shaft. The shaft had a 6-inch iron pin, or gudgeon, mortised into each end to allow easy rotation. A water-filled sluiceway stood above the water wheel. Over 40 slots, or buckets, on the water wheel caught the falling water and provided rotary motion to the well-greased gudgeons. The water wheel and shaft worked to power a giant pair of wood-framed bellows. Four iron cams mortised into the shaft alternately compressed the leather-covered bellows. This machinery blew air into the furnace to increase the intensity of the charcoal fire. Founders carefully managed proportions of charcoal, bog ore, gabbro, and air to separate the iron from its impurities. As molten iron and slag were tapped separately from the base of the furnace, more material was fed into the charge hole at the top. While in blast, the furnace was tended around the clock for 30 to 40 weeks until maintenance was needed. Your next stop will be at the base of the blast furnace in the casting shed. To get there, return west, back over the charging bridge, and turn left onto the stone dust pathway. Continue to walk with the stone wall to your left. After 35 feet, there is a break in the wall with a granite stairway. Handrails are on either side. Descend 12 steps. Be careful. The stair tread spacing can be uneven. Turn right and follow a steep decline for about 48 feet until you come to another stone dust path. Turn a sharp left and continue to descend the pathway. At the top of the next rise, you will cross the northernmost end of the slag pile. At this point, the stone dust path will bear slightly to the left where you will enter the casting shed. <laughs>